Well, amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out? And I want to invite you to go to Acts chapter 12 is where I want you to go this morning. And um, as we are, one, we're kicking off our uh, Christmas uh, sermon series titled Hope for the Holidays. And uh, before we um, dive into that, I do want to say this, um, just as we get started, that um, I think I'm going to go ahead and open up the altar this morning for or um, a call of repentance for some of the things that some of you said yesterday during that football game. <laughs> Anybody with me? Yeah, well, well, there's a certain phrase that somebody wants me to say, but I don't know if it will roll off my tongue. <laughs> but maybe one day when the tide comes back in, I don't know. Uh, that, that's, that's, about, that's about as good as it's going to get right there. But uh, anyways, Acts chapter 12. Uh, we are kicking off our uh, sermon, our Christmas sermon series, simply titled Hope for the Holidays. And uh, there's just something about Christmas that fills us with hope. Amen? Christmas comes and we are somehow, someway, we are filled with hope. It reminds me of, of the hope that this young boy had that he wanted, a, he wanted an iPhone for Christmas. And so he told his mom, he said, Mom, I want an iPhone for Christmas. And the mom, being the wise woman uh, that she was, realizing how expensive iPhones are, she said, why don't you write a letter to Jesus? He's the giver of all good gifts. You write him asking him to give you an iPhone for Christmas. The young boy said, man, that's a great idea, Mom. I'll do it. He goes right into his room and he begins to write his letter. And he begins his letter with these words, Dear Jesus, I have been really good this entire year. And all I want for Christmas is, and before he could write out the word iPhone, he began to think, you know what? I really can't lie to Jesus. I really haven't been that good for an entire year. So he scratched out the phrase uh, one year and he rewrote, uh, dear Jesus, I've been good for six months. And he, he, he still could not, like, I can't do that. So he, he scratched that out and he said, dear Jesus, I have been good for one month. And still his conscience would not allow him to continue on writing that letter uh, to Jesus asking for an iPhone. So he, he scratched out one month and he said this, Dear Jesus, I've been good for one day. And he just could not do it. And he was so frustrated, he got the paper, uh, wrinkled up, threw it down on the ground, walked out of his room, just began to walk around um, the house. And he walked into the living room and he noticed the nativity scene and all the characters that take place in Jesus' birth. And he looked, and as soon as he saw it, he knew exactly what to do. He grabbed Mary, the mother of Jesus, from the nativity scene, went back to his room, took out another piece of paper, and began to write his letter to Jesus. And he wrote, Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again. <laughs> it's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, he was hoping, wasn't he? He was hoping for an iPhone, and he was going to do whatever it takes to get um, that iPhone. But, uh, you know, when it comes to the word hope, the Bible talks um, about, about three types of hope. And let me, it's going to be kind of a long introduction this morning as we introduce this sermon series, but we're going to get to our text in just a second. But the Bible talks about uh, three types of hope. 
Uh, the first type of hope that the Bible talks about is this, a wishful thinking hope. Uh, this is the type of hope that most of us use. It's, it's the type of hope that um, um, you're, you're, you're on your way to work because you have a meeting but you're late and you hope the light turns green. That's the hope that most of us when we think of hope, we're just hoping that this will do something, and, and honestly, wishful thinking hope, it's rather useless. Isn't that right? It really doesn't do you any good. Um, I, you know, some people, it, another example would be, uh, some people say, you know, uh, pastor, well, they wouldn't tell me this because it would be kind of embarrassing, but they say, they would tell their best friend, you know, I just bought a lottery ticket, and I hope to win. Well, that's just wishful thinking because statistics will say that you're more likely to be struck by lightning than you are to win the lottery. And so that's just wishful thinking, but that's what many of us, when we say hope, man, we're just, huh, we wish, but it's not, that's not a possibility. It's real, rather, rather useless. The second type of hope that the Bible references is what, is what I call expecting hope, meaning you have planted a seed and you expect that seed to produce fruit. You plant an apple seed, then you believe and expect you're going to get an apple tree. You expect something to come out of that fruit. Um, when, when ladies, when you are pregnant with a child, what do we say about you? You are expecting. Why? Because we believe and we expect that a child will come forth. Now, here's the reality with expecting hope. Is that always a guarantee? It's not. And that's painful. Amen? It hurts. When you've planted something and it doesn't come out the way you want it to, want it to and, and you were expecting it, but a great majority of the time it does work, but there's moments when it doesn't and it's painful. But the third type of hope, and this is where we'll go throughout this series, the third type of hope is called certain hope. And it's certain hope, it means this, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know that it's going to happen. Paul writes in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, he says this, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. My prayer for this series for you has been that you and I, as families, as, as individuals, and as a church, that we would abound in hope. That we would abound in hope that gives us joy, that gives us peace, because we believe that Jesus the Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so that's my prayer for you, church. And so in this series, we are going to look at the Christmas story through the book of Acts. And we are going to see the hope that comes from the glory of Jesus Christ being born and the transformation that takes place in the lives of those who believe in him. Amen? And so here's what we're gonna do. At the end of each sermon, I'm gonna give you some homework. <laughs> All right, and here's your home, here's, here's gonna give you the homework. And I would like for your homework to be completed by lunch of that morning, that you read this with your family. And what you're gonna do, and I'll give you the text at the end, so you gotta stay to the end of my message, church. 
Some of you leave when I cross that 75 minute point, but you stay and we'll give you homework. And then at the end of uh, lunch today or with your family, you read the story that ties back into the book of Acts, what we're going to be sharing this morning. Amen. Are you with me? Well, this morning I've titled our message, Christmas is Miraculous, Acts chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to make um, our application points from this text. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, and God's word says this. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And now it was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison. And he delivered him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. And so Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. And on the very night, when, he, when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping. He was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. Apparently, people have escaped from prison before. Hmm. Verse 7, and behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And the angel struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off. Highlight that. And his chains fell off. And the angel said to him, gird yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And the angel said to him, put on your coat and follow me. And he went out and he continued to follow and he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first guard, and when they passed the second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, and it opened for them all by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure. You see it? Certain hope. You see it? Now I know for sure. What does he know for sure? That the Lord sent forth his angel and rescued me. He rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Well, would you pray with me please? Father, as we have read your word this morning and we have sung our praises to you, um, Father, I pray that you'd be pleased what is taking place here. That you'd be pleased what's taking place in our hearts, in our minds, and that our thoughts would be focused upon you. And Father, I pray that in the rest of our time together as a body that that you would be glorified and you would be magnified and that we would put all of our focus upon you. And in the end, Father, may we say thank you for rescuing us from the hands of the evil ones. Thank you for being our deliverer. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, 
Amen. Well, let me share a couple reasons why I've titled today's message, Christmas is Miraculous. And I want to hopefully show us how we can have hope uh, this Christmas season. The first thing that I want you to write down is this. We need a miracle because the world is messed up. Can I get an amen on that one? We need a miracle because the world is messed up. Look back in our text. Look back at verses 1, 2, and 3. We are introduced to a king, and his name is Herod. Now, I'm not going to share a lot about Herod today. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about him next Sunday, as the title of next Sunday's message is Family Matters. But here's what we know about King Herod very quickly. He was a bad man. He was a messed up man. And the reality for the early church, Peter, James, and John, the apostles that were mentioned in our text, the reality for them and the early church was this. The world they lived in was a messed up world too. Their world was messed up. It was not good. It was not happy. Their world was not beautiful. In fact, there was evil running rampant in their world, just like it is in our world today. And when you look in our world, it, it doesn't matter what you read, whatever uh, platform you read, whether it is the old-fashioned newspaper in print, whether it's you watch the news, whether you uh, get your news on uh, social media or whatever it may be, whatever you read, what you're going to read, it is not good. Amen? You read what's going on internationally. We hear about the war in Israel and Gaza, and by the way, I don't know if you read this or not, but Bethlehem, Jerusalem, um, and, and other cities have canceled their Christmas celebrations this year because of the war. There's some bad things going on in our world. Genocide, ethnocide, people are turning against one another. There are wars and there are wars and there are wars and there's rumor of wars all across our world. But it's not just bad in our world, it's bad in our nation as well. Um, listen, there's just, I, if you're a politician, I love you. But we've got some dirty politicians in our nation. Not in this church, but in this nation, we have some dirty politicians, Democrats and Republicans. It's not, I don't care if you wear red or blue, we have a lot of dirty politicians who are running our nation. We are seeing bad decision after bad decision made regarding our nation. And folks, here's the reality, it's not going to get any better. You read in about businesses. You read all that's going on with Elon Musk and, and Twitter and with X and all of these other businesses in our world. Folks, it, it's just getting bad. Embezzlement, theft, greed, and sports. We, we see all how it's just bad. We see how, we, we, we see how Alabama and the referees just, you know, just went against Georgia. I, it's just fraud. It's, it's just fraud. It's just it, all over the place. I, I'm joking. I'm totally I'm totally joking. I'm totally, totally joking. But, um, but we see, but we see drug use that runs rampant in sports, and we see greed that's infiltrated college 
It's infiltrating high school sports. Listen, I love sports, but sports is not the end all to my life. It's not. And what's going on, it's, folks, it's bad. We live in a messed up world. And I don't believe that any rational person can deny that real evil exists in our world. If you are sane, and if you are in your right mind, you believe that real evil exists. And today, real evil is walking down the street of every city and town in the United States. Real evil exists, just as it existed in this text that we read this morning. Real evil has been present. Here in our text, in in verses 1 and 2, what we see is we see a wicked man who gets away with murder. Do you see that? Herod killed a follower of Christ, a disciple, the second martyr in all of church history. James. James and John, the brothers, called sons of thunder. If you remember in the New Testament, James and John uh, at one point talked to Jesus and they had left the city and the city had rejected Jesus. Do you remember what James and John said to Jesus? Just call down lightning, call down fire and, and strike them. You remember that? I mean, these were some boys who were fired up. When James is here, he's killed. He's killed for his belief and for him following Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Now that's bad. What's even worse is our text says in verse number three that the death of a follower of Christ, listen, the death of a follower of Christ pleased the people. Are you with me? It's one thing to kill a good man. It's another thing that you are pleased with it. That's evil. And folks, we need a miracle because our world is messed up. And we have a world today that celebrates evil, calls evil good, calls good evil, and it is so twisted. This was taking place in Acts 12 as well. This is not unique. It's a reality. Well, look again at verses 1 through 3. Verse 1 says, now about that time. When did all of this evil take place? When Luke, the author of Acts, writes the phrase, now about that time, that's a time stamp that tells you how you are to interpret this text, meaning it takes place right after Acts chapter 11, 10, and 9. Well, what took place? Well, in Acts 11, here's what happens. The church in Antioch explodes. The church in Phoenicia explodes. The church in Cyprus explodes. But here in Acts chapter 12, there is trouble in the church of Jerusalem. Folks, is it possible? Can God do that? Can God cause the church in one city, in one area to explode, but then a church in another area struggle with persecution? Can God do that? Absolutely he can. I don't always understand it. I don't always get it. I always want to be a part of a church where God is exploding, right? But the reality is there are more churches that are hurting than there are exploding. Can God do that? Is that a part of God's plan? It is. Do I understand it? No. But it is happening, and this is what's going on in Acts chapter 12. 
Now look again, verses one, two, and three. We see that Herod uh, laid hands on some, began to, began to mistreat them, began to persecute them. Verse two, he, he kills James, the brother of John. And verse three, it pleased all the Jews and he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And what I want you to see in this text is this, the church, Peter and the early church are in a hopeless situation because the world is messed up. Uh, turn over with me to Job chapter eight. Um, I came across this text yesterday as I was praying through uh, today's message, and uh, Job chapter 8, I want you to look at verses 11 through 13, it's on the screen behind me as well, but you know the story of Job. God takes everything away from Job except his lovely, encouraging wife, (laughs) right? He leaves her, and Job is down and out, and then Some of his friends show up to help him. Now, when you read the book of Job, you need to understand what's going on. Job's friends show up, and for the first week, Job's friends were godly friends. Do you know what Job's friends, the first week they were with Job, do you know why they were so godly? Do you know why? Do you know what they did? They didn't say a word. They just listened. That's godliness. When they opened their mouth, They don't say godly things. So when you read the book of Job, you need to know who's talking. And so whatever Job's friends is not always the right thing to say. There's good things and the bad things. Well, in verses 11 through 13 in Job chapter eight, Job's friend Bildad said something pretty good. And I think that it sums up our world. It sums up a messed up world and why we're so messed up. Verse 11, it says this, uh, can papyrus grow uh, grow tall where there is no marsh? Can reeds thrive without water while still growing and uncut? They, the reeds and and the, the papyrus, while still growing and uncut, they wither more quickly than grass. Verse 13, and here's, here's where I think Job is right. And this is what we see in Acts 12. And this is what we see in our world today. Such is the destiny of all who forget God. So perishes the hope of the godless. One translation of verse 13 says this, there is no hope for those who forget God. There's no hope. There is no hope for those who forget God. And church, I I will say this, that we see the proof of that statement in every facet of our society today, amen? The further you and I, or we get away from God, the less hope we have. The further you move away from God, the less hope you have. But the reverse is true. The closer you get to God, the more hope you will have. And when you, now I want you to hear me out on this. Go back to Acts 12. And you can read the history books, you can read Uh, Theologians, uh, you can read this because this happens. It's happened in history and it's happening now in history. Whenever a government and whenever a people move away from God, they have to replace God with something. Are you with me? Every nation, this has happened in every country in all of history, That when a nation moves away from God and removes God from his rightful throne as sovereign over that nation, they have to replace it with something. And every nation replaces God with government. 
They replace it with politicians. What happens in Acts chapter 12? God has been removed and people put their hope and their trust in the government. And this is what we see in Acts 12 and this is what we see happening in our world today. That without God, people are going to put something in his place and they always put, as a whole, as a nation, they always put the government and politicians in that role of God. Are you with me? Now in 2024, we've got a pretty big election coming up. I just wanna let you know, church, it doesn't matter who's in the White House. Our hope does not come from who is the President of the United States. Our hope comes from the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whom we celebrate his birth this time of year. That's where our hope comes from. And so what happens back in our text, whenever hope is misplaced and God's been removed and God is no longer God, if you will, and people are looking to the government, when hope is misplaced, here's what you and I need. We need a miracle. We need somebody, we need something to come in and to rescue us from what is going on. Well, guess what happens in Acts chapter 12? The church rises to the challenge. The church rises to the challenge of a culture given over to politics. Look in verse number five. In verse number five, we read this. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. I want you to write this down. Miracles happen when the church prays. Miracles happen when the church prays. I was reading this this past week. A, a pastor said this, said, revivals do not come from prayer. Prayer is the revival. When you and I pray, things begin to change. And if you and I need a miracle, which we've already stated, we need a miracle because our world is messed up. And in our text, a group of people who stands up and welcomes that challenge, it's the church. The church doesn't run away. The church doesn't go and stick its head in a hole. The church stands firm and the church begins to pray for a miracle to take place. And this is what needs to happen today. The church needs to rise up. And I believe that the church is rising up. I believe that you are rising up. But the way the church rises to the challenge is you pray. Look at verse five. Prayer was being made for Peter by the church. And here's what I want you to see about prayer. Uh, Luke, when he writes the word prayer, prosukamai, uh, Luke is implying that this is corporate prayer. This isn't in your closet prayer, not rejecting that. You need to be in your closet to pray, amen? But what he's implying here, this is corporate prayer. This is brothers and sisters in Christ who may not have everything in common, but Jesus Christ. And they've come together and they pray. And the church came together as a whole there in Jerusalem and they 
prayed for deliverance for Peter. Do they know that Peter's going to be rescued? No, they don't. But they pray for him. This is corporate prayer. Now, church, let me share this with you. Um, I've been in the ministry for 27 years, and um, one complaint that I've heard uh, in every church I've served, um, even this one, uh uh-oh, is this, when it comes to corporate prayer, this is what I've heard. I don't like it when the pastor gets us together to pray together. I've heard that. I've heard, Pastor, you can't grow a church by having your people pray together. I've heard that in every single church that I have served. And when I hear those things, it it breaks my heart. Um, I, I understand where some people come from. I get it. Sometimes praying with people you don't know, that's kind of weird, isn't it? And then, Pastor, if you tell us to hold hands, that's even weirder. Don't do that. Are you with me? But church, can, can we take down the facade for just a moment? Church, can we do that? It's not about how you feel. Listen, when it comes to prayer, nowhere in scripture does, does God or Jesus or the disciples no, listen, nowhere does it say that your words must be flowery and beautiful and make sense. Nowhere does it say you cannot pray if you stutter. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say those things. But the scriptures command us, exhort us to lift up all men are to lift up hands in holy prayer. One of the main focuses of the church of Jesus Christ is that we pray individually and we pray corporately. It's hard, isn't it? And I admit that it's hard, but church, I, let's, let's just let's take down the walls, everything, and I'm not always good at praying corporately. I'm not always good at praying with my family. I get it. Neither are you. Amen. Are, we t- are you with me? Amen over here? Y'all are my praying group. This was not my praying group. They said amen. <laughs> but let's, 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 just, let's just be real. Let's just be real with what we deal with every single day. We're not that good. We're just not. And a lot of times it's because we put up a facade and we're more concerned about what other people think about us. Churches, when we come here, listen, and I... I I mean, I was just praying this morning as the worship was, was, was being sung, beautiful worship, and I was praying, I was like, God, please never let this be about me. Let it always be about your glory, about what you want to do. That's why we come here. That's why we come here, that we could look at our neighbor who's sitting next to us and say, you know what, Man, how, how, how can I pray for you? Can we do that? Let's pray. There's power in prayer, and this is what we see here in Acts chapter 12. Now look at verse 5. Okay, we took the facade down, right, church? Okay, we can put it back up now. All right, here we go. Look at verse 5. I want you to look at how the church prayed. What does your text say? 
So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made, what's that word? There's a bunch of different words, wasn't there? Yes, some texts say fervently. The New American Standard says fervently. Other translation says earnest. Others say without ceasing. But here's what I want you to see in this text from this word fervently. It's the Greek word ektenos. Uh, ek means out. Tenos means to stretch. It means they stretch themselves in prayer. It's actually, ektenos is actually an athletic term. It's an athletic term that means this, they gave it everything they had. And it was actually used, this word ektenos, it was actually used to describe a runner, a sprinter, straining and doing everything they could to get across the finish line. They were doing with every ounce of energy, they were praying, and they were praying for Peter here in our text. Do you get that picture? The church together, they were straining. They didn't stop. This is the same word of, that Luke uses of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that he was going to be arrested. Do you remember that story? It says that Jesus, being in agony, fell to the ground and he prayed ektenos, fervently. Now what happened when Jesus did that? What came out of his brow? He sweat drops of blood. He was praying. This is what the church was doing. And when the church does that, miracles happen. Amen? Here's, here's one thing. Again, let's, let's facade down again. Here's one other, just another admonition to you about praying. Too often, we, we, we give up too soon in our prayers. Would you agree with that? We give up way too soon in our praying. I remember the story of a, of a woman who left a diamond bracelet in her hotel. Didn't realize it until she came home. Uh, she gets home and she calls the hotel and says, hey, I left a, my diamond bracelet um, in the hotel in, in room number da, da 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 Can you go find that? And the manager said, yes, I'm going to put you on hold and I'm going to run up there and I'm going to go look and get it. Manager runs upstairs. He finds the diamond bracelet comes back down to tell the lady he's found the bracelet because he has put her on hold, and you know what she did? She'd already hung up the phone. Many of us are like that. Many of us are like that where we pray, and we think that God has put us on hold, so we hang up the phone. And many of us aren't willing to wait. But listen to me, church. Some of you are praying for a miracle, and your miracle may be just right around the corner. Listen to me. Don't stop praying. You don't stop praying. You keep on praying. Listen, I've known uh, mom, or, uh, wives who have prayed for 30 years for their husbands, husbands who have prayed for their wives. I know of parents who have prayed for years for their children. Just this past week, I learned of a family who had been praying for two years for their teenage son to turn the corner. And she came and gave me a praise report that her son had turned the corner. Listen, you don't stop praying. You keep on. Well, pastor, you don't know how dark it is in my life. I don't, but I know who does, and his name is Jesus. You hang on, and you keep praying, because miracles happen when you pray. I mean, Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, he said, ask, and it shall be what? 
give it to you. Seek and you shall find. Uh, knock and the door will be opened unto you. Listen, take Jesus' words literal and you apply it to your life. If you got something going on, you pray and you don't stop well. Let's continue on, shall we? Let's look at verse number six, and let's make the connection back to Christmas. And some of you going, it's about time, Pastor. Let's get back to verse number six. And let me just see if you can see if there's some Christmas connections, okay? Verse six. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping. Was there anybody else in the Christmas story who was sleeping and somebody came to speak to him? Look at your neighbor and say, Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph? He finds out that his soon-to-be wife, Mary, is pregnant and he wasn't involved. He's trying to figure out how to divorce her. And it says this in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 24, it says this, that while Joseph was sleeping, an angel came to him. And the angel said to Joseph, Joseph, you take Mary as your wife, because she is going to have a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And you shall name him Jesus, because he will be your deliverer. He will be your savior. So verse six, on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping, and then all of a sudden, look at verse number seven, and behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. Wow, that doesn't sound like anything that happens in the Christmas story. Okay, if you don't believe me, go to Luke chapter two. Go to Luke chapter two. Go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is the Christmas story. And by the way, your homework today is to read Luke chapter 2, 1 through 20. Got it? Good. Look at verse 9. Now, who wrote the book of Acts? Say Luke. Say it with confidence. Luke. Let's see what his first book said. Luke chapter 2, verse 9. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. In Greek from Acts 12 and in Luke 2, these are exactly the same words. When Luke, the author, talks about that there is a miracle where God speaks into the natural through the supernatural. And folks, the reason why we need a deliverer is because our world is messed up. And for years, in our text, for years, the church has been praying for a savior. Finally, in Luke chapter two, God through Luke tells us that God miraculously sends us the deliverer. And so here in Acts chapter 12, we see a connection to the Christmas story that God sees you, listen to me, listen to me, that God sees you when you're in prison. Some of us today, you may be in prison to sin. And I'll say a capital S, meaning this, you have not given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Here's what I want to tell you. God sees you. 
And God has already sent his son, Jesus the deliverer, to rescue you from your sin. But church, let's also be honest, there's some of you are here that you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, but, but some of you are imprisoned to sin or sins. Are you with me? Some of you are trapped in what the Bible calls besetting sin. And you're stuck. And you don't know how to get out. But church, can I tell you the message of Christmas is this. God has sent his deliverer. And he sees you. He sees you even in your sin. He sees you. And he has made the first step towards you. And as our text says, look at the end of verse number seven. Look at verse number seven. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in the light, shone in the cell. The angel struck Peter's side and told him to get up quickly. And what's the last part of verse number seven? And his chains fell off. Church, I pray that the chains of your besetting sin would fall off by looking unto the one whose birth we celebrate this season. You look to Jesus because you physically cannot stop the sin, but Jesus has already given you the victory. And my prayer for you is this, is that you would walk in the hope of Jesus Christ, who has come to set your chains free. Amen? Because he has come. As Luke would write later on in Luke chapter 2, he would say this, the angel who spoke to the shepherds said this, I bring you good news of great joy. For unto you today, a Savior has been born. Church, the only way that you and I will ever find hope is to listen to that message that the angel saying that Christmas morning. That you would give your life to Christ and Christ alone. One of my um, favorite Christmas carols, and we actually sang it this morning, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, um, it was written by Charles Wesley one year after his conversion. It's great theology. The angels sang a song of deliverance for all mankind. May that be your message. May you receive that message today. And church, can we sing that? I think the words are on the screen, I think. <laughs> there you go. Let's sing it. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. 
Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn. You want to do that second verse? Y'all sounded good. Sounded good. Here we go. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second. Sing it out loud. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today. And Father, our world needs you. Because you are the hope. You're the hope for our world. You're the hope for our lives. And Father, I pray that as we, as your people, that we would share this hope with the rest of the world. Because God, we need you. We need you. And Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to be our deliverer. Thank you for loving the world so much that you sent your one and only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Oh God, that's the great news that brings great joy to all the world. I pray that would be true in our own hearts and our own lives. And if there's somebody here today who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, Father, speak to them now. Convict them of their sin and may they turn to you and hear that Jesus saves. Father, I pray that this Christmas season that this would be the best one ever because we have placed our full hope in you. And that whatever comes, we will say, Jesus is Lord, and that's enough. And that's enough. May that be our cry. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.